and welcome to The Kurt Locker, a podcast where we chronologically step through and discuss each film starring Kurt Russell. My name is Andrew Gormley, and I am one of your hosts. I am joined on this episode by my co-hosts. What motivated her to rise and join the podcast? I guess she has some thoughts. Lindsay Nelson joins us. I always have some thoughts. (laughs) That's right. And oh my God, it's finally time. We are joined by a member of the Writers Guild, a member of the American Theater Critics Association, a 2019 fellow of the National Critics Institute, a culture reporter for Vox, a legend and a hero to all. Asia Romano joins us. <laughs> hi. I don't know how I can compete with that like entrance, but hi, I'm here. Good to be back. <laughs> <laughs> a hero to all. I think that's I think that's pretty I'm gonna pretty like accurate. put that on my on my actual business card now. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely would. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just here for the ideas. I, you know, I, I give it to you. You run with it now. That's, Thank that's incredible. You. It's mine. It's mine. I've gotten it. No, you cannot use it. You, you can't use it. I've trademarked it. So <laughs> now I owe you money somehow. That's okay. That's okay. We'll roll with it. As a hero, I'll let you have this one, but only one. <gasps> Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that's it. That's why she's a hero to all. <laughs> it's Asia, that generosity of spirit. <laughs> Asia, it's been a really long time. It has, but it feels like no time at all. That's also true. For those of you who are listening, the Kurt Locker, uh, some fo- there's some overlap indeed between our listeners for Cool Breeze Over the Mountains, our Keanu Reeves podcast, and this one. Uh, but I think those audiences tend to be pretty siloed. So if, you, if, if you're not familiar uh, with Asia, I, I highly recommend you go check out some of the Cool Breeze episodes featuring them. The Watcher was a great one. Replicas. Was a great one. I think we did like two or three. The Lake House. I, uh, yeah, and the maybe, Lake House. Yeah, there were there yeah, were a handful. I do all great. I do think the Lake House is my favorite Asia episode. Yeah, just oh, that's that's great. I love that. Thank you. That said, the people that have taken the journey with us over to Kurt, you are in high demand. So it's great that you're here. You're joining us for this one. I'm so happy that this is my like my, my debut with this. With this episode, with these these series of episodes, so this is, I picked um, a great one. <laughs> yes, I and I, so I want to talk to you really briefly about you and Kurt Russell. Okay, what 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 you think, Kurt? I tell I say the words Kurt Russell to you. What are some words that come to mind? What 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 do you think immediately? Um, hair. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah, um, synonymous. Um, masculinity, marginally toxic. Maybe we're not sure masculinity, but a form of masculinity, machismo. Yeah. Um, and, uh, just prolificness, prolificness, just whatever the, is prolificness a noun? I don't know. I'm making it a noun. Um, I'll allow it. Thank you. Uh, (laughs) That's three. Do I need to keep going? No, no, no. That's really, that's really it. I just wanted to get a sense of. Uh, overall thoughts. I think, I think most people agree that, that Kurt is one of those actors that's good in everything he's in. He might not be in necessarily all of the best things, but he is always good. Would you agree with that? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a reason he's been in just about every conceivable genre, right. And every, like done every conceivable kind of part, like, and done so, 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 so many movies. Like he's one of those actors that can, um, He's both very versatile and also like very, very like easy to recognize and stand out. So I mean that makes him a great character actor. It also makes him a great leading man, which is just a really 
like very, very useful quality to have. If you, if you have to be an actor, you want to be an actor who can do both. Yeah. Do it all. Do it all. All right. I got to ask this. You're coming in on overboard. I don't, I don't assume to know, uh, where that might fall on your list, but can you think of like maybe your top three, maybe top five favorite Kurt Russell films? It, and it doesn't have to be definitive, just sure, maybe sure. off the top of your head. Yeah, no, I, I um, was thinking about this because I wasn't sure whether I should include something. Like I, I thought about it and I was like, I'm gonna just going to do with uh, do things that I know he's been like a main character in. So like nothing like um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, yeah. Which is obviously like an amazing film, but like he's barely in it as far as I can recall. So um, but definitely my number one is the thing. Definitely. Oh, you're in good company. Uh, <laughs> yes, of course. And then, um, I, I, as a horror fan, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't go with anything else really. Um, my radiator says hi, by the way. Um, <laughs> uh, death proof, I think would probably be my number two. Wow. Okay. I love death proof. Um, and he's great. At, he's great at it. He's just great. You know, and I love that he's, um, he's, such a presence in it, but he's also like not the, the action hero for once. Um, and then I know that, uh, my number three is not going to be a popular choice, but it's my choice and I'm sticking with it. And that's Stargate. Um, oh. be because, uh, like it's a great film. I've seen it a lot of times and, but also like it, uh, like his character, Jack was like so popular that he basically, you know, kicked off the whole franchise and, um, led to my getting thousands and thousands and years and years of Stargate Atlantis fan fiction. And so for that, I have to like <laughs> constantly be in his debt. So, um, so Stargate is my number three. And then I think after that, from there, you'd have things like Tombstone, Backdraft, Escape from New York, and like all like the big, big Kurt Russell things. Um, but sadly, even though I, I'm pretty sure that I asked you to do this episode, I asked you to do Overboard way back when, or Overboard is probably not in my top five. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I can't wait to actually get into why that might be. I, I have a couple ideas, but I'm sure I, you probably do. <laughs> I have a couple thoughts. I'm sure a lot of people have a, a a few thoughts about this film. So, but that's a solid that's a solid list right there. I was Thank not you. anticipating yeah, I, Death Proof, but that is great. I am also a big Stargate fan, so you don't have to be <laughs> excellent, excellent. I'm a good embarrassed company. about Stargate fandom. Yes, no, I'd never be embarrassed about Stargate, but I definitely recognize that most people would probably have, you know, like Tombstone or or um, Backdraft or even something like Tango and Cash up there probably before Stargate. Yeah, yeah. A lot of his a lot of his collaborations with John Carpenter tend to run that first three to five spots. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, completely. But that's great. All right, that's Asia. That's and what a list! Truly, what a list! I'm excited to get into this episode proper now. Now that we we're all properly calibrated, so let me knock out some of this stuff and then we'll get to it. As always, uh, I want to mention you can find our podcast at 12and24.com. This one, Cool Breeze Over the Mountains, Rewatch, a couple new ones that are coming this year. This is great. That's the numerals 12and24.com. For this show, you can email us, kurtlockerpod at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at kurtlockerpod, whatever you want to do there. Uh, you can also join us on Discord and chat in real time. That's 12and24.com slash Discord. That'll also be in the show notes. You just click the link, join there's a fair amount of people, more trickling in seemingly every week. So that's great. Excellent. 
And uh, finally, if you want to support us with just a moment of your time, share the show with your friends, rate and review us on iTunes, also on Spotify. I've seen, I've seen a few folks already do that for us. Spotify just released their f star rating system finally after all these years. Oh, and uh, so from they within the app, to the pressure of the five star system, huh? Right, <laughs> they sure did. There are no written reviews on Spotify, which is. Uh, I don't know how I feel about that. It's fine. You know, you could do the old hit and run where you're just like, one star, screw you, and then leave. You could also <laughs> do that on iTunes. So whatever. Uh, hit the five star button and then just move on. It's great. As, again, I said this on our episode about the Matrix. Statistically, 50% of you are using Spotify. We have the data. It's fine. Just hit that button. Hook us up. That's it. Let's get to why we're here. Lindsay, you want to do you want to run this part? Absolutely. So today we are talking about the film Overboard. Somebody call for a carpenter? That's my wife's department. Mrs. Grant Staten III. Grant, I'm on the phone! Always knew what she wanted. I'm not paying for your mistake. And she always got it. You haven't got a single thing on this earth to do except for your hair. She had power. I... Taste. Oh, what is this gelatinous muck? Style. Are you going to bring me my lemon or do I have to squeeze it from my hat? And... Amnesia. Seems a mystery woman was picked up by the Elk Cove garbage cow shortly after midnight. Excuse me, miss. Can you tell me your name? Of course I know my name. It's... Uh, the plot synopsis from IMDb is a cruel but beautiful heiress mocks and cheats a hired carpenter. When she gets amnesia after an accident, he decides to introduce her to regular life by convincing her they are husband and wife. Uh -huh. um, yeah, I, that's a way to put it. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but this movie was written by uh, Leslie Dixon and directed by Gary Marshall, co-starring alongside Kurt, of course, our Goldie Hawn, Edward Herman, Catherine Helmond, Mike Haggerty, Roddy McDowell, and Jared Rushton. Mm -hmm. um, I have to say, I only see Edward Herman as Richard Gilmore now, even though I know, obviously, that was very late in his career, but I was just like, oh, look, it's Richard Gilmore. Um, this, so what do the critics and audience have to say about this movie, Andrew? Okay. This is a weird one. I went to Rotten Tomatoes. And I, I typed in overboard and then I purposely clicked on the one from 1987. There's another one that we don't talk about. I think we don't talk about that one. If I, if I, if I understand it correctly, 44% from the critics for overboard and 74% from the audience, which is <laughs> quite a swing. Yeah. That's a, that's a big gap. So <laughs> I, I pulled some reviews here. And I think this encompasses things pretty well. Uh, Janet Maslin of the New York Times gave a two out of five stars. This was at the time, too, which is great. And wrote, while the prospect of watching Miss Hahn play a rude, nasty socialite is appealing, and even the transformation to homebody is a funny idea, Overboard winds up taking things too far. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which, yeah. Yeah. I mean, agree. Hard agree. User Paul H. 
uh, gives it three out of five stars. Right in the right, oh, he's almost split right down the middle about this one. While there is a good amount of comedy in this movie, it is not really the kind that will make you laugh loudly, but it will put a smirk on your face and put you in a good mood. Hmm. <laughs> Russell and Han have a great chemistry together on the screen, and that is one of the more profound things that carry this movie. This is a rather typical late 80s, 1980s comedy, though. But Overboard is well worth a watch if you want some entertainment that doesn't really require anything from the audience. Oh, I think it requires something from the audience. Yeah. That's not necessarily a glowing endorsement, Paul. <laughs> Um, Will it put you in a good mood, Paul? Will right. It? I think factually many things are inaccurate about the review, but to each it, their I mean, own. It tried. It tried. <laughs> An attempt was made. Asia, we have an ongoing segment uh, from where we refer to one of our listeners' moms. She's watching along with us because she's had a huge crush on Kurt Russell for most of her adult life. That's So she that's writes amazing. in with a review. Every, for every film, Claire's mom writes, somehow they make you root for it and make you think it's a good thing, but I hate the taming of the shrew. The fact that changing a woman is a tale as old as time makes me hate it. But they're cute together, and the physical comedy is so strong that you keep rooting for them, even though the premise is horrific, if you stop to think about it. And to be fair, I've seen it 11 times. This cast is incredible. <laughs> Claire's mom. So... We have heard from a, a critic, we've heard from a user, and we've heard from Claire's mom. I, I, I want to just... We visited the oracle that is Claire's mom. Claire's mom actually had some... She made some very salient points. Good job. <laughs> There's a reason we go to Claire's mom every movie, and it's because she's usually very salient with her point. I, I want the, the Claire's mom cast. We said that if we ever stopped this, we would just hand the reins of the show. All the logins and passwords would just go to Claire's mom. And she could continue in our stead. I mean, I think mom, like audiences, moms doing podcasts would be like a whole, there'd be a whole niche audience for that. And I think you should explore it. So <laughs> just get a bunch of your audience together, get their moms in the same room, uh -huh. you know, and let them hash out every, you know, every episode that their, that their, their sons and daughters just loved, you know? <laughs> Asia, what do you think in the runtime of a show like that might be? Just don't, just ballpark in it. Well, I mean, I assume that everyone's moms are better organized and have better like life skills than we do. So mm. I assume at some point they would have other better things to do. So right. that, that they would eventually just naturally disperse. Whereas if it were me, I'd just be sitting here until next week talking about, you know, gaslighting the rom-com. So. Yeah, it was like, it's a hard, we have a hard out in 30 minutes. Let's do this thing. Get all the points across <laughs> and then, all right, I got to go. Exactly. Asia, I want to start with you on this one, if you don't mind. Sure. I've heard from a lot of people, both our listeners and my co-hosts, uh, that, 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 that very strong feelings about this movie. I had not seen this since I was a child. I remembered vaguely liking it. I... I the, really, the only thing I remembered is that one of the children spoke like Pee Wee Herman. And hearing that again many years later, not a great impersonation of Pee Wee Herman, to be honest. But what do you think about Overboard? Did it work for you? Um, well, I think did it work is a layered question. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. I think we can pretty much agree that most of this movie is excruciating. I mean, mm -hmm. um, 
honestly just like excruciating both because of the you know the subject and you know looking at it with uh 2022 eyes um is makes it difficult and also because the sometimes the you know the acting and the comedy are, are just completely over the top in a way that is not um enjoyable mm-hmm. but for me i think I, I can i can definitely understand why the audience critic split is so wide here and i think um, there's the nostalgia effect for one thing. And I think, uh, lots of audiences will love it just because it's Goldie, Goldie, Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell and, you know, giving their best. Um, and I think, um, there's also this aspect of like, like every single eighties movie, right. Um, like every eighties movie, like the aesthetic is either like Dukes of Hazard or it's like, like slightly top B list, like a list actors coming from the set of Columbo, you know, like with their, like, <laughs> like seriously, like, like the, the very theatrical, like, um, like Joan Collins and dynasty, like set, you know, doing their theatrical eighties thing. Right. Yeah. And then you have that completely different like dynamic with like the, the Kurt Russell style movies. Right. And so er- overboard basically puts those two together. Um, and kind of says, let's see what happens when they collide and, and, um, and I think that, you know, in the eighties, obviously that probably had immediate tremendous appeal for, for modern, for contemporary audiences. Right. And I think it still does have appeal for, for current audiences. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think too, like, uh, Claire's mom was exactly right when she talks about like the, you know, the, the oldest trope almost being the taming of the shrew. Like, I think like the, if not the oldest, definitely one of the oldest tropes, uh, in storytelling is this this idea of this, um, you know, the uppity woman who gets her comeuppance, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's Adam and Eve. It's, uh, you know, it's Emma, it's the Tammy of the Shrew, it's everything. Like there's so many, many, um, narratives where that's the, the thrust of the, of the story is like the kind of the schadenfreude catharsis that the audience gets from watching this woman be put in her place. Um, which is horribly misogynistic, but it also is something that clearly has an appeal to many, many people, um, which is why so many, like why we keep playing it out over and over again. Um, and I think the thing that Overboard does really well is always keep us on Goldie Hawn's side. Even when she's like in the beginning, when she's at her, her rudest, she's still obviously so in herself, like she's so self-contained and she has so much poise and she's so like, she has so much dignity. <laughs> and even when she is at her lowest point, she still has so much dignity. And like, she's, yeah. I think she just carries the whole movie by, um, by playing the part so well and by inhabiting that role so well that she, she constantly undermines the premise, you know, by making you constantly aware of how demeaning this trope is and how she is, um, how compelling she is despite it. And, notwithstanding all that's being done to her. Right. You know, like just like the way that she carries off her like rudest moments, even like, like I love when she's, um, she's in the, the mental hospital and she tells that guy, eat your checkers. And then she like tosses her shoulder, <laughs> you know, like, yes. and it's just so like, it's so perfectly like, she's so perfectly comedic, but she also just has so much like poise and, and, self-command um and i think that really really carries the movie and and as far as kurt russell like he his performance is fine like he's great but i think i think this is her movie to um to really kind of 
take over. And I think she does that in a really, in a way that remains compelling, Mm -hmm. um, no matter what side of the, the taming of the shrew divide you're on, I guess. Nice. Yeah. I, I think you nailed a lot uh, of, of those points when you, when you're talking, I'm sitting here and I'm just absorbing everything. I love it. Uh, thank it's like, you. Oh, it's like you do. It's like you do this for a living. <laughs> <laughs> I thank you. I hope so. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, I have my doubts. <laughs> in terms of like, in terms of it, uh, the the execution uh, as a film. Do you have any thoughts on that? Like editing, cinematography. Um, you know, anything I like love- that. I mean, one other reason I loved this movie is because it's, um, or I loved the idea of doing this movie for for this series is it's so quintessentially 80s. Like, like when you hit that, that Alan Silvestri mm-hmm. score in the beginning, like, that's just so, so, like, to me, he is, like, the quintessential 80s composer. Yeah. Like, he's always got that, like, funk guitar and the saxophones and, and now I just want to play, like, the Romancing the Stone theme forever. Here. Like, like I just... <laughs> It's so good. I have a surprise for you here. Hold on. (gasps) Yes. Listen to that. (laughs) Whenever there was something uncomfortable or there was a problem, they would just put on this jangly banjo and it made everything (laughs) better. And that's the way to do it. (laughs) I mean, what could could be more 80s than that, you know? (laughs) And so many of the, so many of the beats in this movie are just like that classic, like 80s pacing and that classic, like, 80s populism, you know? Yes. Um, you know, it, it's just, there's so many moments that are just, um, uh, they're so bad, they're, you know, they're almost so bad that they're good. Um, and I think that's that's to do with the pacing and it's to do with the aesthetic. Um, the cinematography is fine. Like, I think um, it would be, something about that that struck me when I was watching it is, because um, I hadn't seen it for a long time either. Um, and I remembered I remembered loving Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell I remembered finding the kids like completely um like almost insupportable <laughs> yeah um but that may just be that may, that might just be because I hate children um, yeah but yeah. I think they're they're particularly obnoxious to the point where like we're supposed to find them cute but I just find them so overbearing and tedious and obviously they're picking up all sorts of toxic masculinity from their father and they need to be taken in hand um (laughs) but um but I think one thing that that uh the direction does really really well is that like they stage all of the the fights between the kids and the and the parents so well that you really kind of feel them becoming a family in spite of your like yourself like I I could I felt Goldie Hawn like getting drawn into this family and I I sympathized with her even though I was horrified for her right like I yeah I you know like I didn't want her to like go join this like family of like drunk rednecks um <laughs> but I but I could under but I I I understood why she wanted to um as much as I hate to say it so I think that's down to um, a number of factors, but I think the the way the staging always emphasizes like how sort of uncomfortably close knit everything is, you know, like the staging, the set design, like it's it's cramped, but it's cramped in a way that doesn't feel claustrophobic, which I think is quite an accomplishment that's that this movie pulls off. I'm kind of right there with you. I had in my notes like I I hate that she 
ingratiated herself into this family, but like objectively she made it better just by being there. Like by do by, by their, like their life was garbage. And then she listened, she observed, she cared, she gave advice and everyone's life got better. So like, I hate it, <laughs> but also right, right, right. I, you love to see it. It's like one of those, I like, it's, I am very torn. I'm very torn. <laughs> and I mean, like, if you think about like, like Leslie Dixon wrote Mrs. Doubtfire, right? Like, like the screenwriter, like the same screenwriter who wrote this, like, it's almost like you can kind of see it as like a, like a practice run for Mrs. Doubtfire <laughs> to some extent, right? <laughs> Yes. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I did. I I did not actually. Uh, I did not put that together. But wow. Well done. Yeah. So much <laughs> deception in the '80s as like the central core of stories. I mean, obviously, there's still a lot of movies that use deception and lying as like a thing to get the plot going or yeah. a reason why people can't just talk to each other to fix a problem. But like the '80s really was about tricking people in movies. <laughs> <laughs> you jerks. And I think I do think it like is the quintessential, like, not the quintessential gaslighting movie, because obviously that is gaslight, but um, mm -hmm. but maybe the quintessential gaslighting rom-com, you know? And mm. to the point where it almost, like, doesn't even feel like a rom-com to some, to some degree, you know? It feels like almost like a campy, like, melodrama that just, like, lost its way and ended up in, in Podunk, Maine or something. Like, um, <laughs> you know? Like, like, because I think so much Yeah, of no, the I mean... You take away that jangly banjo and some of the other things that's supposed to tell us that this is lighthearted and okay, and this movie could practically be gaslighting. Like, right, right, completely. Yeah, like, if you change the music to something sinister, you know, then Kurt Russell is obviously, like, he's abducted her. It's like misery. <laughs> mm -hmm. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. <laughs> Lindsay, I'm curious, did this movie work for you? Tell me everything. Tell me all about it. It does not work for me. <gasps> um, I do think it is weird how much fondness I know so many people have for this movie. And like w when we were kids, I just think it was one of those 80s movies that like played on TV all the time. So everybody had seen it a bunch. Um, and there is something like boisterous and lighthearted about it. I definitely agree with Asia on a couple of things. One, I've never been into the um, fixing, changing, punishing a woman trope. Uh, I also agree that this is absolutely Goldie Hawn's movie. She is the only person, despite the like high caricature of both phases of her in this movie, or all three phases, I guess, of her in this movie, yeah. she is the only one who feels remotely relatable. Like nobody else in this movie from like the poor Oregon coast town or from the, like New York yachts feels remotely relatable or like a real person except for Goldie Hawn. And that's pulled off solely by her like charisma. Um, but uh, but yeah, and this is a terrible story about terrible people who get rewarded for being terrible. So <laughs> like, much like the 80s itself, <laughs> much like the 80s itself. Yes. Um, well I, I agree uh, about, you know, the tropes of this movie and what struck me this time, because I hadn't seen it for ages, for years until I watched it um, for this, was how much this is basically a Hallmark movie if you made it Christmassy. Like it has all of the themes mm. of like the thing that is ruining women and making them unhappy is that like success and big cities. So we need to just get them to a small rural area where some veterinarian or firefighter or carpenter can like show them how to be a woman again and then they'll be happy and everything's great. Um, <laughs> this is obviously a deeply misogynistic movie. Mm. Um, 
to be fair, like, I think the 80s did that to everybody, you know? Like, I'm thinking about stuff like, maybe not just the 80s. Uh, like, when you said that, the first thing I thought of was, like, um, Doc Hollywood, where Michael J. Fox, like, you know, gets stuck in the in podunk yeah. wilderness or whatever, you know? Like, um, and there's so many, like, oh, what was that CW show where, like, Rachel Bilson, the same thing happens to her. Like, I think, um, I think... The, the the narrative requires for a big city doctor or a big city lawyer or a big city socialite to demand that they come to the country and experience the wilderness for what it is, right? Like, that's... Um, yeah, well, I mean, the whole fish-out-of-water story is obviously a big classic and very big in the 80s. And the whole weird relationship that the 80s had with money, right? Because mm -hmm. we were glorifying it at the same time that we were condemning it. And you can definitely see that in this movie. They were not yet at the place we are, which is the eat the rich, bring the guillotines place of, like, all of the villains are rich people. Um, you know, I mean... Not all of them, but you see an increasing amount of villains being rich people um, in movies. Whereas in the 80s, they were glorifying it at the same time that they were saying, but oh, but you you enjoy things more. You're better. You're the real America, even though you don't have money. But also, isn't this money awesome? Which this movie was very stuck between because it definitely depicts its rich people as all isolated, unhappy, um, still obsessed with what they have and if they have as but I mean the it is fascinating and I feel like you could write whole essays about the fact that Grant watches lifestyles of the rich and famous. It's like it's like right? notes. He's like and taking he's notes. obsessed with it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like yeah. he wants to see his own yacht, right? Like <laughs> <laughs> shh, 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 this is ours. Right. He he's obsessed. He's his life is skeet shooting on a yacht and yet he can't help thinking that his yacht isn't the biggest, fanciest, best yacht. Yeah. You know, it has to watch for escapism slash getting on the list of who does have the best yachts. Um, you know, they don't really have a real relationship. She doesn't have anybody in her life. She's isolated from everybody because of money. But then also, money's great. Also, at the end, like... So. Well, I think, right. like, the, if you think about this as, as propaganda, which, like just to take all 80s movies as propaganda, right? Like, for capitalism, if, if nothing else, but also, like, for American mm -hmm. populism. Like, so much of of the American dream myth, like, depends on, like, this classist idea that that you can somehow be a true patriot, right, by making money and and pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. And in order for that to work, you have to like constantly come back to your roots, right? Because like if you if you do pull yourself up by your bootstraps, then um, like logically you you stop connecting to that part of yourself that is true, like the true American, right? Like, mm. <laughs> and so you have to like. I think there's this idea that you have to constantly return to your roots and. And get back to nature, get back to like the wholesomeness of small town communities, like the Andy Griffith show, you know, like you have to constantly return to Mayberry, you have to constantly um, return to, uh, I don't know, It's a Wonderful Life, like, um, you know, Merry Christmas, you old building alone, like you have to <laughs> go through that, you have to go on that journey, right, to figure out what really matters. And then you can go back to being rich and being like a, a, a public figure and like a true community service do-gooder type person. I don't know where I'm going with this, but like basically like you, I think these two things are in conflict because, you know, capitalism makes them in conflict. And so in order to 
like resolve them, you need a Hallmark narrative. Yeah, where yeah. like she's learned her lesson now about being a woman properly, about caring about uh, maternal, feminine, motherly things, which has softened her and made her pretty for like the first time in the movie. And then, uh, <laughs> then we can give you all the money. You know, once you've learned to appreciate that, then it's fine to give your children Porsches for Christmas because now you want a little girl, so it's fine. Um, <laughs> Turns out, but we're like, set for life. Yeah, and I do think one of the only touching parts of this movie is actually the conversation she has with uh, Butler Andrew when she's on the yacht and Roddy McDowell back and trying <laughs> and trying to fit in again. And uh, you know, she's doing tequila shots with the crew, and they all like her now because they've she's never like done tequila nice shots before. This woman showed them how. Right, right. Like they'd never there, heard of a tequila a shot. Although I will process. say, tequila did enter. And even the fact that it's used in this and that she was with poor working class, classless people. I mean, because of like racism against Mexico, tequila was not considered, was considered a very trashy spirit until like very recently, despite the fact that it has as much like complexity and flavor as anything else, you know. Um, but uh, but yeah, like the, these crew members have never had tequila before and she has to show them how to drink it is a little uh, but yeah when she when she apologizes to Andrew sees him as a human being and then she's like uh, do you think I'm crazy everybody thinks I'm crazy and he does the whole like no you've gotten a chance that most people never get we most of us only get to see life from the perspective and the class we were born into and you got a chance to see it from a different dimension and now you got to decide what you want to do with that knowledge was like actually like a nice part of the movie <laughs> Yeah. For, I don't know. I think the thing that's scariest to me about the whole misogynistic gaslighting part of this movie is how willingly and quickly literally like every single person in this town and stuff is willing to get on board with it. Like Kurt Russell having this plan is one thing. It's terrible and awful, but is just one thing. But the fact that he can get all of these other people to join him in completely gaslighting this woman in making her do unpaid labor in I mean the fact that when he goes at night and jokes with his friend at the bowling alley mm -hmm. about raping her yeah. yeah I I mean I think I'm not gonna justify that there's no justifying that but but I took it as a given that he hadn't been in town long himself and that maybe people just didn't give a shit about him so they didn't know whether he had a wife or not or like <laughs> I think that's true right because when because uh in the very beginning like the principal shows up and is like oh you missed orientation for school or or like right I, right. I, I assume they she they was must coming have, to welcome them yeah they because they got there at the beginning of like the summer break so they've been there I think they say they've been there for like three months oh okay all right so yeah, but, three months is not know, enough time for people, for your neighbors to start to, like, notice you. And, I mean, maybe if they're, like, directly across the street, they might notice that suddenly you have, a like, a wife who you didn't have before. But, like, I don't know. Like, I think it just depends. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I mean, the whole scene at the hospital where, like, they do, she's the one saying, like, you need some kind of proof that we have a relationship before you're just allowed to take me out of here. And the hospital who's just going to totally hand her over to this guy is like, okay, yeah, she's right. And then he's like, oh, well, she's got a birthmark. And then they're like, okay, that's all you need. Sure. You don't need any actual, like, documentation. <laughs> no marriage licenses. No IDs. We're just going to... My brain is just going through, like, all the times, like, somebody was able to check a kid out of a school by going, like, yeah, I'm her dad. And the kid, the school is like, okay. And just handed them over. Yeah, sounds good. Like, yeah. You yeah. look like a stand 
stand up guy, you know? So that part didn't actually phase me at all because I'm like, yeah, that definitely would happen. <laughs> also, what truly was Grant's plan, right? <laughs> like, how long did he think this was going to work for? Just leaving her there, especially when you find out at the end that it is her money, right? So if he had his own money, I mean, he definitely seems like he came from an old family with all of the, like, he's the third and all of that yeah. kind of stuff and that, you know, nobody walks out on it. So he probably brought some of the old money, or old family prestige, but doesn't have any money in it. The money's all hers and her mom's. How long did he think he was going to get away with this? Like, just leaving you her know, there? I don't think he was playing with a full deck, you know? He seemed I like mean, a pretty eccentric guy yeah. who didn't do a lot of planning or critical thought. I don't know. Look, he had know. a yacht. That was that was it. Like, he had a yacht. What else did he need? Did he need a plan? No. Like, I'm just going to stay on this yacht forever and, and hang out with painted ladies, as he <laughs> refers to them, which actually most of them were just, like, the crew, so... Well, they're tofuti. Yeah. Let's not... Let's not. <laughs> <laughs> Which, that's ice cream, right? Or am I am, am I misremembering? Is that the name of a brand of ice cream? I had no idea what that was. So okay, I could be I could be totally off base. But when I I heard I like had like a Harrison Ford esque fugitive flashback when the word tofuti was uttered, and I was like, I think I've had that. But I can't I have, actually, I can't I be sure. I Googled this, and apparently it's a New Jersey-based company that makes a range of soy-based dairy-free foods under the Tofuti brand. Yes. So founded in 1981, so definitely predates this movie. Yes. So I have had Tofuti. <laughs> nice catch. All right. I mean, that does it. That literally, that's nothing. It's just a very funny name to be named. And he yeah, was like pining yes. over her specifically, you know. Oh, Tofuti. Oh, Tofuti. Yeah, so I, I will say I find this movie very frustrating. Yeah. I find the the technical aspect that I thought was the best. I mean, it's all very 80s, but I thought the costuming is really good in this movie. Um, from it just it's really tells the story. I mean, I will throw in here on behalf of Whitney. Whitney's main thought about this movie was that the sunglasses are iconic. Every sunglass she wears <laughs> is a moment. And I have to agree. Uh -huh. But mm -hmm. her whole, all of her rich 80s asshole clothes are kind of amazing. I oh, mean, definitely. like that epauletted, like sparkly cover up she's wearing. Yeah. <laughs> that first scene with the, ba the bait, the like nude, I'm barely wearing clothes. I'm going to have a long blonde braid with like a big bow to come up. Bathing suit. I mean, all of her, her rich 80s asshole clothes are amazing. Um, the Salvation Army clothes, the, the way it transitions into more contemporary 80s clothes from like prairie kind of clothes that they managed to find at the Salvation Army. Yeah. Where she's wearing like scrunchies and jean jackets by the end. And then her transition back to a rich person now who has a heart and is a proper woman. So she's pretty for the first time. And instead of that really severe slicked back android 80s hair, she gets the like soft French braid chignon hair <laughs> and the, yeah. you know, sparkly gold gowns. That, I mean, it just tells a story more than any other technical aspect, I think, is the costume design in this movie. Even though I hate, hate, hate the tank tops that Kurt Russell wears where the, like, armholes are, like, cut out the whole side of the tank top. While I acknowledge that that was a thing in the 80s, I find them so repulsive on, like, a visceral level. <laughs> I was thinking about this as I was watching the film. I don't know if I've seen another actor's nipples as many times as I've seen Kurtz in just this past six, seven film run. Yeah. 
Um, I mean, we do see his nipples a lot. Yeah. And he kind of grabs both edges of the shirt in this one and like, you know, holds it in the center, (laughs) you know, like that move. That was pretty good. That was pretty good. I think the bar, (laughs) the bar when it comes to male costumes, like is, is pretty low. Like if it's a, if you're a, a male character in like an eighties action movie or like a rom-com, like they're not going to like the costume design is not going to put you in like tailored suits, right? You're going to be wearing the, you know, the, the white tank tops, you know, and the jeans and the, you know, the Patrick Swayze gear. You like the, you know, like I think that that just sort of speaks to, you know, double standards for men and women at the time and still today. But no, yeah. it's true. Absolutely. It definitely does. And what was considered attractive on men versus attractive on women and how men are expected to do way less work to be attractive and all of that kind of stuff. I will say this wasn't even the best like jeans and tank top we've had on Kurt by far, though. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, He's, these jeans didn't fit him super great. I mean, I'm kind of stepping on the next segment, so I'll wait. No, that's thoughts for that. No, that's good. I keeping in <laughs> the vein of the the costuming. I thought maybe one of the funniest parts of the of the movie revolved around a bit of costuming. It was towards the end with her mom wearing that incredibly. Mm-hmm. I don't even really know how to describe clothing, but it was just very voluminous right and she's going to and she's like andrew i'm sitting and he has to like lift up the back so (laughs) she can sit down i legit i laughed at that part but again it's completely unrelated to what the point of the story was but i was like that's that's well and like her yeah her mom is living in like an 80s version of gigi so like it's all very it's that 80s does victorian thing yeah she was with her mom she was a riot the mom was an absolute riot i thought she was very funny Uh, for a very you know meant to be a very unlikable person but i you know it, well, Catherine Hellman, like she's like everything she touches turns to gold. So like yeah. she's, mm-hmm. you know, she can just sit there looking, you know, grand and Victorian and it's hilarious. So <laughs> yes, she was very, yeah, very she good. has like three scenes and she pulled focus in every one of them. So absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I'm, I'm going to run down a list of some things that I liked about this movie. It's a um, it's it's a short list, but, uh, you know, I'll, I'll go ahead and I'll go ahead and say it. <laughs> Uh, there is a character named Andrew. I like that. That was good. He's one of the nicest people in the movie. Right. This is good. Roddy McDowell. <laughs> Roddy McDowell. <laughs> crushing it, as always. Uh, I did enjoy the kind of heightened reality that the rich folks lived in. Like what we were talking about, like skeet shooting off of a yacht and just mm-hmm. absolute, absolutely removed from reality. I I thought that was I thought that was pretty funny. I wish the movie had more of that tone throughout. Like I th- I wish it was all a little more heightened. I don't I don't know if that would have made it better or worse. I, but it was inconsistent. It was like the difference between what happens to rich people and how they live and then the very kind of sentimental uh salt of the earth people. I didn't care. I, it was like very jarring for me. That's fine. I'll agree. I, I agree with both of you. I think Asia, you mentioned the production design about how everything felt a little um, cluttered, but not claustrophobic. Uh, and then Lindsay, also the the costuming. I thought that was all really good. Uh, the psychiatrist was very funny for the five seconds that he was in the movie. <laughs> I thought that was yeah. really really good. I got big 
kind of Shit's Creek vibes from this with the first time I sat down and and I was and or like the most recent time I sat down to watch it. The difference being that Shit's Creek eventually I grow to <laughs> care for those people. <laughs> And this movie, I I do not, I yeah. don't. Um, well, they're they, they're all like caricatures, you know, like almost especially the kids. You know, there's not much effort made to humanize them because I think the like it's almost like they don't have to be humanized. They're they're kids, and he's Kurt Russell, so that's yeah. And she's a mom, so she's like as a woman, she's going to do a mom thing, you know, like <laughs> like that's sort of the the direction that the the writing kind of points you in. I think, I think you said this Asia, the only, I think really what this coasts on, everybody I know has seen this movie like 10 times or zero times, right? There's no, there's no, like I saw it <laughs> no once, in between. Right? We love this because we love Kurt and Goldie and it's more of like the meta, like look at how long these two have been together. An incredible love story. That's timeless. <laughs> and not so much for the, like, they are the people carrying this, and it's specifically Goldie. Kurt is, he's fine in this, and we've seen him be, uh, we've seen him be great, and he's fine in this. Uh, so overall, it, this movie is like a mess. It's like a huge mess for me. I think that, like, I don't know if there is, like, studio notes. I don't know. I, I don't know what it is. Like, it doesn't, it, it, I don't know what it wants to be. Like. The score is in this Alan Silvestri's Alan Silvestri, one of the greatest composers of, 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 of ever, of ever. He did my favorite theme song two years prior to this film in Back to the Future. It's great. It's perfect. I don't know what they were. What did they tell him to do when he got in the booth? <laughs> like, here, here's your inspiration. Go. I think he probably just was like, oh, I've done this a zillion times. I know I know all of the 80s cliches right now. I'm just going to go to town. Like, and he just did it, you know? Yeah. He's like, a bit, it's like, it's like, give me a, give me a location. They're like, oh, they're somewhere. It's like, oh, they're like a rednecks. Hillbilly. Okay. Banjo it is. Boom. Let's go do, let's go to town on this thing. Completely. Uh, so yeah. And everything else about this is just fine. It's, it's. Kind of, it's on the shorter side. You know, all movies now are two hours long or two and a half hours long, and I don't like that. This was a pretty <laughs> short movie overall. Um, not, not my favorite. Not my. Fa I'll just go ahead and say it's not my favorite. Do we have anything else we want to say about Overboard? Any other thoughts or feelings? I appreciated the random Hector Elizondo cameo. <laughs> <laughs> Like, yeah. you know, uh -huh. you, you know, you're in an 80s movie when there's like a random Hector Elizondo cameo. Like, I think that's one of the like the aesthetic <laughs> flares that this movie has going for it. Yeah. 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 That's pretty good. Pretty good. I, I think we've, I think we've said it, but it's, uh, it, it, this is Goldie's movie and she is so funny and she doesn't have to try very hard to be funny. She's like, a, she's, she's great at that. I, I, you know, I want to throw that out there too. Yeah, no, she's, she really sells this movie. I can't imagine it working with almost anybody else. Yeah. So. That's really it. I can't really think of anything else that I would want to say about this movie. I want to add that I am completely with her. Like, I don't know why he made those cabinets out of oak. Sorry. Like. <laughs> <laughs> it was really. His... Although I did like the kind of rotating shoe thing for more space. But yeah. <laughs> I was into that. I was into the, the, cl the closet design, but I was definitely like, I feel like 
those are going to leak or like something is going to happen. And they're they're They, they aren't even stained. Like <laughs> you need some yeah. sort of, yeah, it's protection, weather protection. Well, I do feel like they were trying to put it all on her and her abrupt brusque rudeness, but she was actually trying to talk about what she wanted and he kept cutting her off. Mm -hmm. And the fact that you built a whole thing without checking with your client, like what material they wanted it out of or anything. (laughs) feels like it is kind of on you right right and also like i feel like if you're gonna go buy wood you probably want to like you know if you want to buy supplies you want to make sure that they approve the supplies before you go spend money on them you know just a a thing a carpenter might want to (laughs) know in his line of work certainly just double checking yeah anytime i've ever worked with anybody doing any like construction or carpentry which is admittedly not a lot but when it has there's been like a lot of discussion about material and costs and yeah like he didn't even give her a scope of work kirk come on like what what are you doing (laughs) yeah never he never approved this mechanical kind of shoe thing extra storage how many of how many of us have ever thrown a carpenter's tools to, uh, to the bottom of a river though raise your hand well, I will say I find it very unrealistic that his toolbox floated. <laughs> That's what I was saying. Yeah, there was many, many hammers and, like, and, and heavy metal yeah, equipment. Yeah, the, the but. box itself might, but with what it's filled with, there's no way that this is floating. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe his tools were also mediocre, and that's part of why she was upset. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> could have, could have, there was all, it's all plastic. What is this? He just built her a Lego closet. <laughs> hey, I mean... <laughs> It's, it solves the it solves the waterproof problem. Uh, yeah, I don't know what it does for moths, but yeah. <laughs> it's eccentric. These these rich people seem eccentric. They might dig that. They might dig that. Also, there are moths in Oregon. I don't know why he was acting like moths didn't exist there. <laughs> Maybe they're not as problematic. I don't know. I don't understand. Uh, Maybe he just didn't think that moths liked yachts. I mean, maybe it was the ocean thing, yeah, more than the Pacific Northwest thing. Yeah. Because he insects are never Northwest drawn Coast. to water. Right. Yeah. <laughs> never in the history of insects have we seen them near water. Also, everything she owned was like me- metallic synthetics, so uh, that's not going to be attracting a lot of moths. I didn't see a lot of wool sweaters in her. Yeah, a lot of sheens, a lot of, a lot of sheens on mm-hmm. things. Yeah. A lot of lame. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I have a very important question for both of you. Um, Asia, I'm really excited for you to hear this. <laughs> I'm excited uh, too, I think. Mainly I'm excited to hear uh, secondhand, uh, like, or like experience a secondhand blush through Whitney. So I'm going to press a button here and I just, just give this a listen. <laughs> a brief moment of, is he hot in this one? You just want to know... What movies is she pretty in? That's a heavy burden for me alone to bear. Maybe just his character in the last one bugged me enough that I didn't think he was as dreamy. He's very dreamy in this film. Is he hot in this one? For as long as uh, he has been, you know, of age, we have asked this question. And I think we have an unbroken (laughs) streak of... Mostly yes, maybe one no. Uh, Asia. Well, I think I'm going to put you at a disadvantage because I'm, I'm a probably slightly too queer to, to answer this in the affirmative, and also B, I really hate mullets, so that's like two <gasps> things that mm-hmm. Kurt in general has going against him for me. So um, 
I am going to say no, but also like I think I'm that opinion is bolstered by his toxic masculinity in this mm-hmm. film, which doesn't help. So I think if I have to say no, this is a good movie to do it on. Yeah. I mean, I am going to have to agree and say no. I think that this is the least attractive he's been in a movie uh, since he's been old enough for us to ask whether he's attractive or not in this movie. Uh, like I said, I feel like the clothes fit weird. Um, I feel like the haircut is the worst it's been. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really got into the Escape from New York hair, and even though the hair in uh, Big Trouble in Little China was kind of moldy, it still worked better. He, I mean, uh, not to like, but he looks kind of puffy in this one. Like, I don't know what it is. I think the hair, like, I think the hair also like makes his angles a little like weird. Like, I felt like at one point, mm, like yeah. he. Like he almost had like I felt like I could see hairspray like like he had bangs almost like 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 puffy you know like I don't know like Madonna bangs almost even like and like you could have like a very gorgeous mullet that's all flowy and like like well tended but I felt like hit, like in this one it was sprawling and just kind of like all over the place like they didn't they I don't know they didn't have a direction for his hair and it showed and I think that like impacted. yeah it it didn't flatter his face at all it was I don't think it was very mullety I don't think the clothes fit him super well I mean like we have seen him in jeans and a tank top before where he looked much hotter than this and admittedly his character is profoundly unattractive to me so that's possibly coloring some of this but I think even from just a purely visual aesthetic perspective this is the least hot he's been yeah I'm gonna I'm actually gonna go ahead and agree with both of you on this one I did not find him to be uh you know whether it was through uh, personality or, or ill-fitting clothing or some combination of the two uh, did not, did not care for him in this one, really. You know, if you look at the promotional picture, like the, the cover art, his hair looks great, but that is not his hair in, in the movie. In the movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it got, got away from them at some point. <laughs> I don't know if that was taken pre-filming or post-filming, but whatever it was, it wasn't what was in, that was not what was delivered. So. There is that. Uh, wow. Right across the board. I'll have to, I'll have to pick it up with uh, Whitney next week, but I have a feeling it might also be a no from Whitney as well. So there you go. There you go. But, you know, as I'm sure Whitney would agree with, Whitney uh, would endorse my Goldie Hawn sunglasses are very hot in this one. Those sunglasses are, are very hot. I also endorse those. Yeah. The ones with like the wing of sparkles kind of that go like yes. a, half a foot well, off of her face. And then the very red sci-fi angular <laughs> triangles. Yeah, all of it. Yeah. It's great. Those sunglasses would have fit right into the Matrix universe. Any pair of them would have been <laughs> fine for anyone in the Matrix to be wearing. Would have worked great. I mean, that rhinestone wave is a little flamboyant for most people to Matrix, but I think they, somebody could pull it off. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it's certainly in, it's in the confines of the Matrix. All right. Wow, we've done a lot. We've covered a lot of ground. And that brings us to uh, potentially, our, potentially the, the fan favorite part of the show. Are we, are we ready to give this a shot? Let's do it. All right, I'm going to press this button. Hope for the best. Figure it out, asshole. We're going to find out who's who. I mean, I'd peg us at a D minus for this kind of thing. Keeping you at a disadvantage is an advantage I intend to keep. Think you can win on talent alone? You don't have enough talent to win on talent alone. I honestly, I don't remember, okay? Ask about horses again, I'll slap you red. (laughs) Hey! 
was fun. Oh my goodness. Figure It Out Asshole is our very own quiz show where the host will ask each of us three questions. If one of us gets it wrong, the other participants have a chance to steal, assuming they remember the remaining answer. Asia, I have to stress, our hosts will not repeat answers. So <laughs> yes. uh, often... Remembering the other answers has been our biggest challenge. Yeah, oftentimes... <laughs> Oftentimes, points are left on the table because answers have just been forgotten that quickly. So, so I should try and distract you guys. Like, if I don't know the answer, I should just like talk until you forget what the other question, the, the other options were. So, an incredible strategy, I mean, especially if numbers yes, are involved. It would work. Uh, I can tell you oh, that's. God. <laughs> I will say though, if if none of us wins, then the void gets a point, and we don't know what happens if the void wins. Right. That's. I a, think it's so. the ending of the thing. <laughs> it could be that. It could be that. So, so without further ado, let me introduce our master of ceremonies coming to you live from the void. It's Charles Nolan. It could also be the ending of all things. Oh, no, I don't care for that. <laughs> Hello, I mean, that's everybody. What it sounds like when a void wins. Hey, Charles. Hello, Charles. Hi. How is everyone doing this evening? Good. Good. We're we're it's uh, very cathartic. We're getting it out, as it were. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Let's get out some trivia. Okay. <laughs> Starting off with Asia. Oh, no. In the opening credits, when we first see Kurt Russell's character, he drives into Elk Cove, Oregon, home of what county's crab feed? Is it Polk, Crook, Yamhill or Tillamook? Okay, I've got to go with Yamhill just because that's an amazing name. So, Yamhill. It is an amazing name and it is incorrect. Steel. Lindsay. Tillamook. That is correct. Nicely done. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. Question number two goes to Lindsay. When first arriving on the boat, Dean compliments Grant's gun. What brand is the gun? Is it Smith & Wesson, Remington, Weatherby, or Beretta? Hmm. I did not catch this, and I'm just going to have to go based on Grant's personality. What I think he would own is a Beretta. That is incorrect. Steel? Asia. Was it Weatherby? It was. Nicely done. Never heard of that kind of a gun before. I think that might be why I remembered it, because I'm like, I have no idea what this is. Yeah. I probably made it up. <laughs> That's a rich person's gun, apparently. Apparently. I don't know much about guns. We don't have them in the void. <laughs> Maybe it is okay if the void wins. <laughs> Moving on to Andrew. <laughs> the character of Billy, played by Mike Haggerty, was originally offered to which actor who turned it down for a role in planes, trains, and automobiles? What? Was it John Candy, Steve Martin, Michael McKeon, or Kevin Bacon? Oh, my God. Uh... I'm only saying this because I would, well, 
I don't really want anybody to be in this movie, but I love Michael McKeon. So I'm going to say Michael McKeon. That is incorrect. Damn it. Steel? <gasps> I heard Lindsay first. John Candy? That is correct. Nicely done. JC. Thank you. I just figured if, you know, they were casting for a particular type that he was the closest. I somehow knew that answer, so I just, <laughs> I, I was too oh. late hitting the Jeopardy buzzer. Oh, all right. All right. Better get good with your buzzer skills for the bonus round. It's, yep. The void is waiting to take me. It's okay. I've accepted. <laughs> Moving back up to Asia. Dean overhears Joanna bidding on a painting while he works on her closet. How much does she offer? Was it 1.3 million, 1.5 million, 1.7 million, or 1.9 million? <laughs> See, this is where he gets us. 1.7 million. That is correct. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I was so ready to steal all that. Unbelievable. <laughs> well done, Aisha. Thank you. Thank you. The void is very, very nice to me. Very well done. <laughs> Moving on to Lindsay. Throughout the movie, Billy wears a hat with which co-star's last name on it? Is it Han, Russell, McDowell, or Herman? Oh, I did not notice this. Uh, Herman? That is incorrect. Steel. Andrew. Russell. That is correct. I'm on the board. <laughs> I did think it was weird. I did notice that, where it's like Kurt Russell talking to a man wearing a hat that says Russell. It's like, <laughs> that's a choice. That completely went over my head. Moving on to Andrew. There is a clock in Dean's house that is in the shape of what mode of transportation? Is it a biplane, a yacht, a motorcycle, or a convertible? I'm gonna go with motorcycle? That is incorrect. Steel? Steel? I heard Asia. Uh, convertible? That is incorrect. Damn it. Steel? Lindsay. A biplane? That is correct. Nice. Wow. All right. Thank you. And hmm. convertible, biplane, they look like basically the same. <laughs> <laughs> right. Indistinguishable. Back up to the top of the round with Asia. Gary Marshall refers to this movie with which superlative, calling it one of the blank movies he's ever made. Oh. Is it worst, funniest, best, or creepiest? Um, best. That is incorrect. <laughs> Steel? Lindsay. Creepiest? That is incorrect. Oh my god. Steel. Andrew. I swear to god, if this isn't the answer, worst. That is incorrect. It's what? funniest. I knew it was either best or funniest because I remember reading that and my like hairline like shooting like my eyes. My, what I, what do you do? Eyebrows go up in your hairline. That's what happened when I read that. 
Yes. Everyone is entitled to their own wrong opinions. <laughs> as of when did you say this? Does Charles, do you know as of when? Is it, was I it do not have a date, but it was fairly recently. Oh, that is. I mean, a lot of Gary Marshall's movies are deeply creepy if you stop and think about them for two seconds. Like. <laughs> I mean, he probably, I mean, if everybody, he like, if people are going around watching this film 11 and 12 times, then he probably feels like he's entitled to, to call it one of the funniest. Like, he probably doesn't have that happen too often, I would assume. So, (laughs) I don't know. I mean, he's just only surrounded himself with overboard stink offense. So, Pretty Woman is also one of those movies that people rewatch, like, an insane amount and is also deeply creepy. So. Yeah. It's true. It's very mm-hmm. true. Mm-hmm. A solid point. Moving on to Lindsay. On the bathroom mirror in Dean's house, there's a button for what Major League Baseball team? Is it the Twins, the Tigers, the Cardinals, or the Dodgers? Uh, the Cardinals? That is incorrect. Yeah, my my brain just goes blank when sports are involved. So. <laughs> steal? Uh, steal? Oh. I think you went first. I heard Andrew. The Tigers. <laughs> that is incorrect. Son of a bitch. Aja. Well, now I've completely forgotten what Lindsay guessed. So. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> um, Twins? That is incorrect. <gasps> oh boy. Was, the void gets a point. What was what was, was the, the Dodgers? The Dodgers. The Dodgers. Huh. God if there was one it. I should have recognized, it would be the Dodgers because they're very local to me. Mm-hmm. 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 All right. Moving on to Andrew. Okay. What is Joanna's mother's dog's name? <laughs> Is it Porcini, Shiitake, Chanterelle, or Enoki? Chanterelle. That is incorrect. Steal. Lindsay. Shiitake. That is correct. All right. Someone got it. You know, for as much as I liked her, I should have paid attention to what she called the dog. Yeah, I don't she know said sports, it but I... one time. Oh, well, okay, I don't feel so bad. <laughs> it really stuck with me, though, because I've never known anybody to name their dog after a mushroom. Fair. Chanterelle would make a great dog name, though. It's true. That one mm-hmm. seems much more plausible than shiitake. Back up to the top of the round for the last regulation. Figure it out, asshole. <laughs> Asia. Let's do it. Dean was owed $600 for work he did on the yacht. What's the approximate value of $600 from 1987 in today's money? Is it $1,200, $1,500, or $2,100? Um, this is a, trivia was tough for this one. <laughs> uh, $1,500? That is correct. Wow. 
Well done. <laughs> I was just like, eh, it's got to be in between 12 and 18. So <laughs> it seems reasonable. I have to add financial n analyst to your intro now going forward. <laughs> Please do. Hero financial analyst. Hero, hero to all financial analysts. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Moving on to Lindsay. When Annie goes to the school to talk to the kid's teacher, what page is on the board for homework to be done that evening? Oh, my gosh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> is it 146, 416, 461, or 614? I hate this so much. 461. That is incorrect. Steal. Andrew. I'm just going to say the one I remember, 416. That is correct. <laughs> nice. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, see, right, remembering the rest of the answers is a very key part of this game. I all I have all I hope is that the one like who, whoever's turn it is doesn't say the one that I've committed. Yeah, that I've committed to remembering because it's all that's when it goes off the rails. Okay, I have definitely done that before too, especially with <laughs> with one with a bunch of numbers. Yeah. For the final regulation, figure it out, asshole. Question: We go to Andrew. Okay. The band that plays Go Jim Dandy for Annie's birthday features director Gary Marshall on what instrument? Was it drums, guitar, harmonica, or bass? I wish I knew what Gary Marshall looked like. <laughs> he looks a lot like one of the musicians in this band. <laughs> Fair. Fair enough. Uh... Guitar. Got it, right? Guitar. That is incorrect. Steel. Asia. Drums. That is correct. Nicely done. Nicely done. Figured he'd want to put himself as the front, the, the lead man, but the most he yeah, gave himself like the, the most important The drummer is always job. the cool one, right? Like, yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> he also sang while drumming an impressive feat. <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's true. That brings us to the bonus round of Figured Out Asshole. I have three questions that will be posed to no one in particular. Participants get to buzz in to give the answer. If they buzz in before I'm done listing all of the answers, I will not continue listing all of the answers. That's a bad, I, I don't like that rule at all, but... I get it. Ooh. I understand. I like that rule a lot. But if you're <laughs> sure, if you're sure, then it is, it is an excellent strategy. It's true. Yes. It's true. So let's hear everybody's buzzer sound, starting with Andrew. Mine is bzz. Lindsay. Ding, ding, ding. And Asia. I, I wasn't prepared for this. Um. <laughs> you may take your time. Five. Four, three. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. How about um 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 me 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 me. Perfect. <laughs> Nailed it. Starting uh, off with bonus round question number one. What is the name of Joanna's yacht? Is it Ye Cats, Atessa, Huntress, or Immaculata? 
Ding, ding, ding. Lindsay. Immaculata. That is correct. All right, all right. Bonus round question number two. Which of the following landmarks does not show up at the mini golf course? The Statue of Liberty, Mount Vesuvius, Grand Canyon, and Mount Rushmore. Ding, ding, ding. Lindsay. Mount Vesuvius. That is correct. Woof. Woof. Nice. Cleaning up. Was Mount St. Helens. It was. But, yeah. <laughs> and for the final question. The sheriff who says play ball to kick off the mini golf opening is related to someone on set. How? Was he Gary Marshall's brother, Goldie Hawn's uncle, Kurt Russell's father, or Jared Rushton's father? <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Lindsay. <laughs> Jared Rushton's father? That is incorrect. Me, 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 me. Asia. Was he Gary Marshall's brother? That is incorrect. <laughs> there were too many names and descriptors. <laughs> I only remember the first one and the last one, and those were both guests, so I have no clue. Here's who I know it isn't. Well, no, I don't know for sure, actually. I wasn't paying attention. The only one I remember is, it, uh, my answer is Kurt Russell's father. That is correct. Yes! <laughs> it was Bing Russell. Wow. Bing? His name is Bing? Bing Russell. His name is Bing. Like Crosby. <laughs> Incredible. Wow. That's amazing. Well done. Well done, everybody. <sighs> that that gives us a final score of The Void with two points. Oh. <laughs> Andrew with three points. Mm-hmm. Asia with four and Lindsay with six. Ooh, you did it. Nice. This is for you. You were meant to be here tonight. Do a lap. Uh, my, my arms are above my head. I feel very <laughs> triumphant. Incredible. It's inspiring. You've done. You've done it. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Worthy competitors. <laughs> This is this is pretty pretty rough and tumble round. I mean, be there honest. was lots of stealing. Yeah, that was everybody was real in there. <laughs> this was one of the most fun rounds of figured out asshole that I have hosted. I love it. I Excellent. Love it. And you got and two points. So well done <laughs> that to you. Is correct. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I have learned to bring in sports and numbers a lot more if I want the void to win eventually. Uh, that is a very accurate mm -hmm. assessment. This yeah. does bring us to Figure It Out Audience, a segment where I ask the, our audience two questions, and they get the chance to say on Twitter or in our Discord what they believe the answers to be. Figured out audience question number one. What monster mask is on the bookshelf in the house's living room? It's just a mask for a famous monster. Which monster? 
And question number two. What is the name of the band that performs at the Fishbowl Bowling Alley? This is one of my favorite things from this movie. <laughs> and that's it. That is it for Figure It Out, Asshole. All right. Well done. Thank you so much. Charles, as always, it's a pleasure. The I know greatest that this host. Must, yeah, it must be an incredible amount of work getting that much trivia together. And we appreciate, we appreciate you for doing it. It's only difficult when the movie is very tough to watch. <laughs> With that. <clears throat> yeah, you and me, we're, we're right there together at this one, Charles. Uh-huh. Yeah. I would like to I would like to lodge a complaint with the void that none of these questions involved the uh, Roddy McDowell as the answer except for the hat and but I didn't get to weigh in on that one so I didn't get to say Roddy McDowell and I just wanted to make all the answers Roddy McDowell so I want you to like I just need to be brought back in another episode where where we do the Roddy McDowell Roddy trivia yeah. hour that's what I want <laughs> I'm making my demand very clear and putting it on the record so there'll be no take backs. I think that's good. You got to manifest. <laughs> All right. Well, that has been noted. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, I, I have another thing to add to your introduction for the next episode as well. So there we go. There we go. Roddy McDowell uh, insider. One. Yeah. <laughs> and financial <Insider>. analyst. <laughs> Fair enough. We'll think of something. Don't worry. We haven't heard the last of Roddy McDowell's name on this podcast. <laughs> Excellent. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> Again, thanks so much, Charles. Thank thanks you, everybody. Yeah, thanks for sitting through this one. It was a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe Charles. I don't believe it. Okay. Uh, I am going to very quickly run through some of the major plot points uh, of this film as uh, outlined by Wikipedia. Um, if you haven't seen this movie and you were, you, you know, we had, we haven't talked you out of it yet. We might do that along the way while we read through this and, and just discuss it briefly. So um, yeah, there we go. Here it is. Eris. Joanna Staten is accustomed to a wealthy life in her own yacht and fortune, along with her husband, Grant Staten III. While waiting for her yacht to be repaired in the fictional town of Elk Cove, Oregon, Joanna hires local carpenter Dean Prophet, a widower with four sons, to remodel her closet. He produces quality work, which is dismissed because he used oak instead of cedar, despite her not having requested this at the start. Uh, as we discussed, the onus should be on him, not her. That's neither here nor there. Uh, Dean agrees to redo the closet if he has paid for the work that he has already done, but Joanna refuses to pay. They have an argument during which uh, he berates her for her arrogant and pompous attitude. Um, this results in an angry Joanna throwing Dean and his toolkit into the water. That night, as the yacht sails away, Joanna goes on the deck to retrieve her wedding ring, but loses her balance and falls overboard. The next day, a story is aired on the local TV news about her having been fished out of the water by a garbage scow. She is suffering from amnesia and is taken to the local hospital. Once Grant learns of this, he initially heads to pick her up, but after seeing her mental state, he deliberately abandons her and returns to the yacht to have parties with younger women as he intends to have Joanna's fortune to himself. After seeing the story on the news, 
Dean seeks revenge by encouraging Joanna to work off her unpaid bill. I feel like they are. Yeah, that's. Oh, um, okay. Phrasing is doing a lot of work there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're, they're skipping a little bit there. <laughs> yeah. Let's go to the middle of that and say Dean goes to the hospital and tells, uh, <laughs> tells her that she is his wife and the mother of his four sons. And after a little bit of, um, well, that is not very much, not any convincing at all to the doctors, she goes home with him uh, and is appalled by his residence. Um, here's what I'll say is that land and that house under the right circumstances, probably incredible, but they really, yeah. really went out of their way to really crap it up. So. Like how many car corpses can we strewn about this property <laughs> yes exactly let's just put an old junker here the frame of a car there a broken boat here great and i feel like it should be noted that she's constantly saying that that he's not her husband and she completely rejects the idea that she is his wife like from the beginning she she just knows that that he's lying to her and then yeah. and that's like before she actually gets to the house she feels that way and then keeps it up until basically she you know, he manipulates her into believing it. So just wanted right. to throw that out there. Once they get once they get the kids involved, it's all Well, and he gets his friend to forge the pictures. Oh yeah, like old school Photoshop. <laughs> it's just the f it's it's not good. It's not just good. not, <laughs> not it's believable. Just, yeah, it's just not good. Uh, so Joanna initially has difficulty <laughs> difficulty dealing with Dean's sons and a heavy load of chores but she soon adapts. Um, I thought that was pretty funny, uh, her trying to cook. Uh, I thought that was very funny as someone, as a rich person who is disconnected from ever having to do anything is funny. Not necessarily yeah, like that the, she's the doing The chicken labor. in the pot scene where she's like... <laughs> just trying to... I just found it totally relatable. Like, that is definitely how I would cook a chicken. Like <laughs> <laughs> right. Is this not how it's done? <laughs> Honestly, like, I mean, what do you she need? She just keeps what, what moving the feet you around. Yeah. She got the chicken in the pot. She turned on the burner like that's halfway there, right? Like, I think she put an uncracked egg in with the chicken. Yes. Well. She put a piece of celery, a carrot, and an uncracked egg in the pot with the chicken. And then just, yeah. Yeah, that's an it. effort. She made the effort. I appreciate that. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Um, so as we said, she, she soon adapts to, to this way of uh, living. Uh, she masters her responsibilities. She learns about the boys' school and family issues and that Dean is secretly working two jobs to pay bills. She, hmm, there's a jump from that sentence to this one. She falls in <laughs> love with him and develops motherly love towards his sons. You gotta wonder, like, how much discussion is happening on the Wikipedia talk page for this entry? <laughs> zero. I can imagine, I can tell you it's zero. It's either zero or it's like 12 pages and half the people involved have been blocked. <laughs> they keep, <laughs> they keep re-editing each other's, it's, that's not how it happened. Uh, develops motherly lund, uh, love for the sons, starts streamlining the money problems with more efficient budgeting. Uh, Joanna also convinces Dean to be responsible uh, to be a responsible father to his sons as he previously brushed off their issues at school. I will say uh, this movie suffers from a thing that I hate in 80s movies. Uh, one of these kids say the darndest things situations. Oh, man. It, I, I, I don't know if you remember 
when they give her a, they give her the present of a washing machine, which is bad. Don't do that. It's not a present. Yeah. One of the kids like comments about her ass and her tits, I think. Yes, like, the the oldest son who was when she first got into the house looking at like a a Playboy kind of yeah. thing and talking about he says, well, she doesn't have any boobs, but her ass, but she has a great ass or something like that. She might not have any boobs, but her ass is great. I think I that's what it. it is. I it's terrible. Hate it. It's the worst. That it's happens worst. in so many eighties movies, and it's just like a shock. Like, let's shock them. I think it's I think it's supposed to be like cute. Like, I think literally people at the time thought like, oh, boys are just being boys. How funny. Yes. No, I truly do think it was intended to be cute. And it's I mean, I have a harder time watching movies from the 80s than I do movies from like the 30s. The the misogyny and the Mm -hmm. rape culture in 80s movies is just insane. Yeah, that I just I you know, I wanted to call that out as a bad thing. I did not like that. And it, it, I do it, like it later was, when that kid says when they want to get her back, when he's saying she doesn't put up with my shit. I need discipline. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> did oh. like that line. Because he is correct. They need boundaries very badly. And Kurt Russell has been absolutely failing to give them to them for the past three years. They do. Yeah. And again, like I said, she makes their life, all of their individual lives appreciably better. It's just that the means to make that happen suck. It's terrible. Uh, Joanna makes Dean's dream come true by helping him design a miniature golf course. Did not understand this subplot. I wish <laughs> it could have used a montage, to be frankly honest with you. I would have yeah. loved to have seen that. But no, she draws one thing, and the next scene, there is a miniature golf course that exists. I hate it. <laughs> yeah, I feel like m- montages and editing did a lot of, of work in this movie. <laughs> Right, they could have just, but except where we needed them is the problem. <laughs> well, they can only do so much work. Yeah, there's, it's, not, yeah, they're like, at some point, they're like, we've already spent millions of, we need to get this thing out. We need to get this thing out. I just meant that, like, no amount of editing and no, no amount of montaging could make the, like, the relationship not gross, right? So, mm-hmm. like, at some point, they try, but yeah, elide over the, you know, the messiness and the misogyny. Yeah. They're like, uh-oh, it's getting gross. It's getting gross. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Look, it's a realm. Sorry. It's all uh, fun. It's <laughs> the funniest movie I've ever made. That that needle drop for that song happens 19 times if it happens once in this film. <laughs> um, although he has also fallen in love with her, he does not tell her the truth about her real identity for fear that she will leave. Wow. You think? Eventually, after four months, Joanna's mother, Edith, learns about Joanna's fate and threatens to have Grant hunted down, forcing him to reluctantly end the partying and return to Elk Cove to retrieve Joanna, whose memory is restored upon seeing him. Realizing the horrible truth of what just happened, a distraught Joanna returns with Grant to their yacht, which is headed to New York. Joanna finds her old lifestyle boring as she is uncomfortable with how rude Grant and Edith treat the boat staff. She apologizes to her butler, Andrew, and the boat crew for her spiteful treatment towards them and soon realizes how happy she was with Dean and his sons, prompting her to turn the yacht back towards Elk Cove. The next morning, when Grant finds out that Joanna has changed course, he becomes insane and takes charge of the boat, admitting that he purposely abandoned Joanna and had numerous affairs with other women in her absence. 
Dean and the boys arrive on a Coast Guard boat to rescue Joanna, but are called away due to a sighting of salmon poachers. Dean grabs a life jacket and swims towards the yacht, and Joanna does likewise. An insane Grant furiously takes aim at Joanna with a bow and arrow, only to be booted overboard by Andrew. Ronnie McDowell! <laughs> Ronnie McDowell <laughs> saves the day! I don't know if there's a least... Uh, uh, I don't know if there was a worse place to meet cute than in the middle of the goddamn ocean. <laughs> this was not a romantic uh, meetup at all. But uh, after reuniting with Dean, Joanna assures him that she will divorce Grant for his infidelity so she can marry Dean and have his sons inherit her fortune. Joanna also suggests having a daughter with Dean as a new member of the family, just as they kiss while the boat sails off into the sunset. You hate to see it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that that was indeed a movie that happened. Yep. I think the like the fact that the Wikipedia summary was almost as excruciating as just like the movie. Like, <laughs> it was as hard, disjointed. Yeah, it was hard to listen to it. It doesn't have that jaunty banjo to make it yeah, better. Yeah, I should have just had that looping yeah, underneath the, the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll fix that in the edit. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. So... I think I know the answer, but at a high level, Asia, I'd just like to ask, do you ultimately recommend this film? You know, someone's like, should I watch Overboard? <laughs> yes, no. I do not. I, unless you're a Goldie Hawn, unless you're trying to, like, experience the work of Goldie Hawn, because she truly does elevate her performance in this movie. And almost because it's such a, like, wretched, terrible, misogynistic plot, you know, like, she just gives it so much dignity and it's so remarkable to watch. So, but other than that, no. Okay. All right. Lindsay, are you going to recommend someone watch Overboard? I am not going to recommend that someone watch Overboard. If there was a way to recommend removing it from your brain for people who have already <laughs> seen it, I would probably <laughs> recommend that. Yeah. Eternal sunshine, this thing right out of yeah. existence. Uh, yeah. I'm right there with both of you. I'm not going to recommend people watch Overboard um, for all the reasons we listed, right? That's, that's basically it. But you have to say it was an 80s experience. Like, you, it, it's an experience. That's all. It, it definitely is. If you're <laughs> in, like, indeed. a cultural anthropologist mood or something, maybe if you want to see some <laughs> very good costumes... Uh, for like, but, but yeah, I mean, general, not, no, no. Also, I don't know many people who got out of, you know, if you were a, a child in the eighties, early nineties, who managed to escape seeing this movie. And if you have, I think you should embrace that stint. So. Yeah. This is actually the second time, uh, that I've, that we've experienced on this show, uh, uh, a movie that people have watched a bunch of times when they were young that they have a tremendous fondness for mm -hmm. starring Kurt Russell. That is not a good movie. And I'll go to the grave with my other one, which is the Fox and the Hound. It's a terrible movie. It's not good. And everyone I, has this fondness for it, but I, I could never like, I just want to say for the record, I was never able to rewatch the Fox, the Fox and the Hound because watching it for the first time when I was like four or whatever traumatized me. And I was like, never again. <laughs> I've yeah. never watched the movie again. I will never watch the movie again. It will traumatize you in a completely different way. <laughs> oh, I'm yeah, sure. As, I'm sure. And then that's, then you grow up and you learn about like the race, the, like the racist narrative behind it. Right. And it's yeah. just like, yeah, like it was trauma awful. on top of trauma. 
Well, and I did find it very interesting listening to you and Whitney talk about not the like the sadness of the loss, but the like life is pointless. Don't ever try to do anything. Message that you received as adults that did kind of pass me by as a child. Yes, it's like don't bother trying to change anything ever. You that this is it. And I, I oh I do not care for it. This kind of is in that same boat. It's like uh we've we've saw this on tbs <laughs> why did we times. all like this movie so much yeah yeah well again and, like this is this is all about like like 80s hollywood propaganda like they're like classism right like the classist mm-hmm. narrative of like like you have to accept the the cast you're born into right yeah it's uh, it's something it's something uh we have a kurt russell movie ranking that's why i asked you up top Asia, if uh, mm-hmm. you had a, a set, I'm not going to, what, what do I have here? I actually just want to have a pretty, uh, let's see if I looked at all episodes here, we're somewhere in the neck of the woods of like 65, something in that neck of the woods for Kurt Russell films. Uh, wow. If you had to take a guess, just ballpark, where's overboard landing in a, in a list of 65 Kurt Russell films for you? Oh my gosh. Uh, Probably near the bottom, maybe. <laughs> I mean, I, like my hesitation would be that I'm sure I haven't seen a lot of the others, but I'm not sure how they could be much worse. But mm-hmm. I'm definitely saying it's probably going to be in the bottom, you know, bottom 15 or so. Okay. My, yeah. is my guess. That's fair. That's fair. Lindsay, your list thus far with what you've reviewed with us looks like mm-hmm. this. The Thing, Escape from New York, Big Trouble in Little China, Silkwood. Now you see him, now you don't. <laughs> The one and only genuine original family band. Where are you going to put Overboard? Yeah, I'm having a surprisingly hard time with this because part of me wants to put it at the very bottom of the list. But that's for more like ideological reasons. And there's stuff in this, especially Goldie Hawn's performance, that is more fun than like anything. And now you see him, now you don't, you know, Mm -hmm. but I don't have such deep fundamental philosophical problems with now you see him now you don't but i still think because there is some fun stuff about this movie i'm gonna put it underneath silkwood and right above now you see him now you don't okay it's in your number five spot on your list so far so far it will continue to move down (laughs) yeah so you're doing this as like you're doing it as you go that's probably smart because then you yeah yeah. yeah, I'm surprised that you've seen two movies that you would rank below it, though, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, well, the like so one far, all, like <laughs> I will say, that's why I was very I was very torn about putting this at the very bottom or not, because uh, but one of the things that we go on for sure is rewatchability and uh, about like for me when I'm trying to figure out where to put it on the list. And like now you see him now you don't is surprisingly boring. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. I will say that the high points of this are higher, even if the sort of ideological nightmare is much worse. Now you see if now you I don't. Found, like, like ideology aside, like, I think I just found like the family scenes so excruciating. Like I like maybe just because I, I was born a redneck myself. So I'm always comparing like my lived redneck experience to the exaggerated caricatures of, of 80s TV and, and cinema. And I'm just never, ever like. I just always find those types of portrayals really excruciating and like hard to watch. So for me, I mm-hmm. think it would be 
like I, I wouldn't I don't find it high on the the rewatchability just because of the family scenes and so forth. But yeah, no, some of that was truly truly hard to watch. But Goldie Hawn's performance does have to put it a little bit higher just because she is so yeah, she's engaging. magnificent completely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna put this uh, at my number fourteen movie, just below the one with the monkey, the barefoot executive. <laughs> um, you know. There are seven movies beneath this one and there are, you know, 14 above it. And that's kind of where it, that's kind of where it falls for me. I did not really, I, I, I don't think I'll be revisiting Overboard anytime soon. I'll put it that way. And it yeah. kind of falls right there for the same reasons you said. I liked Goldie Hawn. I liked some of the character actors in this, but overall I kind of just, it's like a, a lot of nothing and with sprinkled with occasional bouts of fury. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's like where I am with it. It puts it in perspective. The other movie that he was in with, um, Goldie Hawn was well, actually a Goldie Hawn movie that had, uh, Kurt Russell featured yeah, similarly, I guess, swing shift in, in retrospect, it's yeah. higher on my list. I liked it more. So I would recommend people go check that out. If you want to see a Goldie Hawn, Kurt Russell film. I mean, they were also both in the one and only genuine original family band, uh, which, but she's not in it much. She's barely in it. And I really think the one and only genuine original family band has landed so firmly at the bottom of my list just because I remembered it so differently from being a kid that the stark reality of an adult made me maybe push it, you know, t- aggressively to the bottom of the list. Uh, totally understand. <laughs> totally understand. Let's talk next week. Next week, uh, Whitney should be returning and she will be running us through a film called tequila sunrise. Uh, I've never seen this. I don't think I've ever even heard of this movie to be honest. It is one that I did not know existed until we went over the list of Kurt Russell movies for this podcast. Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. I'd never heard of it before. No idea what it's about or who else is in it. (laughs) Asia, are you familiar with this one at all? I feel like it's probably something that I saw like being advertised and I, I vaguely remember it existing. I don't mm-hmm. really remember anything about it, but I feel like it's probably was something that played in the background of my of my childhood. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's quite possibly the case for me, too. I did get, it gets jogged as you start it. You're like, oh, no, I do remember this or oh, yeah, I do remember this. Well, that's how I was when you first asked me to like if I was interested in doing this, I was like. Sorry, I don't know any Kurt Russell movies. And then I like looked at his IMBD, his IMDb, and I was like, "Wait, I know eighty Kurt Russell movies." Like, <laughs> wait, turns out he's one of my favorite actors after all. <laughs> right, like, like just because he's been in so many things that like I don't even remember I, 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 that I that I know or I'm familiar with, right? Until you see it all laid out, and you're like, "Oh my god, yeah, I'm a connoisseur. I'm an accidental connoisseur of Kurt Russell fans of Kurt Russell films." That's actually a great name. For a podcast, you should start a podcast called Accidental Connoisseur. You can, ha- you know, and you just introduce <laughs> yourself as name. a hero. That's great. That's hero really financial analyst. Like every episode, I gain a new <laughs> career. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Accidentally. Right. It's incredible. All right. Uh, that, that brings us to the end. This was incredibly fun. Asia, thanks for joining us. Of course. Always a pleasure. Where could people uh, find you on the internet if they want to read your stuff? see your tweets, where, where, where they do that. 
Um, no one should see my tweets because all I tweet about is Wangibo. Um, but I, um, <laughs> uh, if you want to to if you really need a dose of of Chinese pop culture in your in your daily Twitter diet, then you can find me on Twitter at Asia Romano, A J A R O M A N O, um, and you can also find me at Vox, where I work and write stuff for my job that I work at. I guess that my Vox byline is like just Vox.com. I don't know, slash writers slash Asia. I don't know. It's just Google it. You'll find it. We'll put you, we'll put a link to you in the show notes. It's well know. worth it. URLs are hard. You'll figure it out. Asia writes great stuff. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a fan. Consider me yeah. a fan. No, me too. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Lindsay, where can people find and follow you on the internet? Uh, you can follow my Twitter at Lindsay Nelson, N-E-L-S-E-N. Similarly, it is very one note, except it's all about gelato. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sweet. <laughs> yeah, check out, uh, you know, if you want to see a bunch of pictures of gelato, definitely follow me on Twitter. You can also listen to historical hotties. Do you know who the hottest people in history were? Well, if you want to, you can listen to historical hotties where we tell you scientifically arrived at the hottest people in history. So... I love it. We'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. Uh, any episode in particular you think people uh, would get a kick out of? Uh, I mean, I really like the fashionistas, fashionistas episode is a good one. Uh, the mystery writers uh, episode is is one of my all-time favorites. So. Okay. All right. We'll find those and uh, put them in the show notes. Uh, you can find me on the internet at Dark Driving, Twitter is probably the best for that at, 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 I guess, Instagram also. That's mostly stories, and they go away after a day, I guess. So not really too many posts there or anything like that. And then we are wrapping up our um, uh, a review of the Resident Evil films, aptly titled Rewatch. That's myself and Eric Hall. It's 12and24.com. <laughs> Check that out. Yeah. See some of our other shows. Good stuff. I am going to press a button. There it is. And just say thank you all for joining us. And in the immortal words of Jack Burton, sit tight, hold the fort, keep the home fires burning. <laughs> <laughs>